This is the murderer you know. Hi, hi, hi. How are you? I am covered in pollen from head to toe. Welcome to me like three weeks, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. It's funny because when I saw you three weeks ago, I was like, man, I'm so glad I'm not like that during this season anymore. (laughs) And then my life was like, ha ha, bitch, what? Wrong, wrong again. Wrong again. Oh, no, it's, I think that's, thank you. Come again. Isn't that from Aladdin? Wrong again. Wrong again, I think is from Lion King. What part? It's Rafiki. Oh. When he's like lecturing him. Come I'm so disappointed in you. Well, I would automatically go Aladdin because Aladdin's my favorite. Same. Lion King's my favorite. Exactly. That's why you know, you knew. And I was just like, please let it be from my favorite. Only a true classic has such timeless lines. Speaking of true classics, you don't remember Chippendale Rescue Rangers? No. You don't? I don't think I watched that. Well, honestly, it predates both of us. So yeah, Um, no. But it it was on rerun. I I guess it was on reruns when I was a kid because I remember watching it. You don't remember Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Wow. Sad. Sad life. Sorry. I muted so that the listeners wouldn't hear me blow my nose. That's good. That's very good. What you couldn't see was me pantomiming. Nah, bitch. I have no idea what you're talking about. I could see. That's why I was like, sad sad life. Well, for anyone out there who was a Chippendales fan, you should watch the new movie because it's really cute. And especially if you're like a millennial, it references like Every single thing that we grew up with, basically. I recommend it. It was enjoyable. Have to check it out. Last week, there was a vote, bunny donuts or crime. Remember? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You said you wanted to talk about bunny donuts this week. So I said people could cast their vote and the people casted their vote and the people voted for crime. So the people give the people what they want. I mean, I thought we would, I thought we would kick it a little old school because I thought sometimes like a vintage crime back, is a, back, a little fun. Back, back to Cali. I mean, Canada, Canada, Canada. Canada. <laughs> so we're going to talk about my great, 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 great grandmother. Who was, you know what, I won't say this part yet because I don't want to, I don't want to reveal too much, but I'll tell you something later about what I, I'll tell you later what I was going to say. That was nine greats, nine. So this was this woman, Gillette. That's pretty much how you pronounce the, the like razor company. (laughs) Gillette, 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 the best a man can get. Isn't that their... (laughs) Slogan. I don't have commercials, so I don't know what you're I don't talking either. about. I don't either, but I kind of remember that commercial. My ninth great grandma, Gillette, she was born in 1636 in Normandy. So we're really going back. 
and listen, so many things from this story are just like, my God, stuff has really changed in what, like 350, 370 years. Damn. I'm so trash at math. My first guess was 500. (laughs) So never move on. Cut that part out. So in 1649, she was sent to Quebec, which is in Canada, with over 200 other young women from France. And these girls and young women were called Fille Marie. And I'm not French, so I apologize in advance and probably a thousand times more for how I can't pronounce any of these things. But essentially, it means marriageable women. And these women basically signed contracts. And they were promised to marry certain French men when they arrived in the colony in Canada. And this was all set up by the French king at the time, who was Louis XIV. Gillette was contracted to marry a man named, again, don't know, Marin Chauvin upon arrival. And she did marry him in 1650. Now he was 24. And if you're keeping up with the math at all and you're not trash at math, she was 13 okay, okay shade okay shade <laughs> so she what you weren't paying about attention to be 14 <laughs> what you weren't paying attention to is the faces I've been making for the past nine it feels like 90 years that you started telling this story you said we were going to talk about something nice I this said is I, gross I you used I, the word marriageable <laughs> that's not a word I said I thought it would be fun. I don't know if I said it would be nice. (laughs) So anyway, they Mm. had their first child in that same year, 1650. And that child, that little girl is my eighth great grandma. So that's the, the line that my family descends from. And then unfortunately her husband died in 1651, leaving her widowed and a single mother at 15. Can you even imagine? I mean, being 15 in a new country, you have no family, no friends. You don't know anyone. You're a mom. And the only person you even know, like a little bit dies. I can't, I can't imagine crazy that, crazy that she even managed to pass on a line and that's, you're even here. That's a good point. That's a really good point. But I think part of it was that apparently since these women were sent over to increase the population of the new colony, she knew she was going to have to marry someone again. So she was granted a small piece of land about a quarter acre in this town called I think it's called Trois Rivières, which means three rivers. And she settled there. She was allowed to keep the land as long as she built a house and enclosed the land with a fence. And at the time, this place, Trois Rivières, which is still a town, was a small settlement of about 500 people. But today, over 100,000 people live there. So yeah, it's definitely changed a lot too, in addition to a lot of the other things from this story. In 1653, she married again. She married a locksmith from the town who was about 10 years older than her. And they went on to have six kids together. Four of the children they had together were girls. And in the French culture at the time, it was the father's responsibility to arrange suitable marriages. And this guy seemed to be in like an overwhelming hurry to arrange these suitable marriages. And I don't know 
not French, not, can't speak French, also not a historian. I don't know what the average marriage age was in the 1650s, but he married his daughters. The oldest one, he married her to someone at 14. His next daughter was married four years later at 13. Three years later, he married his middle daughter and his second youngest daughter who were 12 and 14. And then he still had at that time a boy and a girl living at home. And they had another son who died very young in 1666. This guy was said to be a pretty strict father and he, I guess, did some things, including marrying all these girls off super young that his wife didn't agree with. So the the person that we are that our story is going to center around is their second youngest daughter, Isabel. And she was the one married at 12. So he agreed to marry her to a 30 year old man. He was a former soldier who decided to stay when his term was over and settle there. So he was now a colonist and the dad of 12 year old Isabel, he knew his wife didn't like this man or this match. So he arranged the final details while she was gone helping a neighbor who had just given birth. So he sounds like a stand-up cool. shit going on around here. <laughs> he sounds like a cool guy. After her her dad's name was Jacques. So after Jacques, husband of Gillette, married her his, their 12-year-old daughter off to this 30-year-old man. Pretty quickly, all the members of the family, including Isabel's dad, Jacques, quickly came to regret making this match. Now let me ask you a question. <laughs> What is it that he thought the result was going to be when he married his 12-year-old to a grown-ass man? Well, I think that he married all of his daughters to grown men. And like I said, I don't know how normal that was at the time or if he was just like in a rush because he had so many damn children to support. But I guess he thought that the result was going to be that this guy would provide for her and take care of her. I mean, it seems like most of the other marriages worked out to at least some extent other than this one. But the thing is, and we're going to talk a little bit about this guy. And I guess he was just, I mean, you know how people be, they always hide their, their true selves in the beginning of a relationship. They're trying to like lure you in and trap you with fancy words and presents, but this guy didn't have a job. So I'm not sure. And he didn't have his own property, his own house, which sounds like it was kind of unusual. I don't know why the dad landed on this guy. Right. Like this will be the guy that's going to be able to take care of my daughter. Like, Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not (laughs) only are you 30, but you ain't done shit in 30 (laughs) years. So, um, here's my baby. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the 1600s, I guess that kind of stuff was happening all the time. Isn't that when like all the kings named Henry had 72 wives and stuff. I don't know when that was. You should have called your mom. It's like, you don't even prepare for these things. No, that was way earlier. 14 and 1500s. Mm. But still, yeah, it's like coming out of that era. Gross. Yeah. It's Can you ever imagine how horrible, time. yeah, how horrible it would have been to be, to be born back then? <laughs> And Hard people who pass. like romanticize it and they're like, oh, all the fancy dresses and all the guillotines <laughs> and women's suppression. <laughs> Guillotine. That's kind of guilty? a little bit of for- foreshadowing here. Is it? To a certain mm-hmm. extent. <laughs> so back to this 30 year old man with the 12 year old wife. He went by Latouche. That was his, it was part of his name. So I guess it just became like a little nickname. I'm already not sure about this. I'm <laughs> Latouche. His name's Latouche. Anyway, 
Trash name. Trash name. That's some <laughs> foreshadowing right there. Although the couple did have one one child together, a little girl, about a year after they were married, Isabel's husband quickly proved himself to be an absolute fucking nightmare. He was violent. He was jealous. He was a lazy alcoholic who often beat his young wife bloody and he could rarely provide food for her. She had to ask her parents for food a lot and they had to take food over to her or she spent a lot of her time dining with her parents at their house. Like I mentioned, he didn't have a farm of his own. So apparently around the time they got married, he worked at two farms near Trois-Rivières, but he ended up leaving both of them which left his very young family with pretty much no income. And Isabel later said that he drank so much, he physically could no longer even move and wasn't able to work because of that. So sounds like he was really putting them back. Upstanding Um, guy. Upstanding. Yeah. Minus the up and the standing. (laughs) According to later testimony and hearsay, Isabel frequently complained that she wished her husband were dead when she visited her parents. A couple of times, Isabel's father, and that's Jacques again, he tried to talk to Latouche and tell him, you really need to straighten up, get a job, stop drinking, stop mistreating my daughter. And Latouche, it, it said, would even agree, but he never really stuck to it. He always kind of slid back into his old slimy ways. Like, ah, my be, my be. I'm gonna get it right. Yeah. Just kidding. JK, JK, JK. Both parents, and that's, as a reminder, Gillette, who is the ninth great-grandma in the story here, and her husband, Jacques, they tried to help their young daughter, but all of their efforts were ultimately unsuccessful. I couldn't find many details about how exactly they tried to help. Other than that, they thought about going to court, but since Gillette couldn't read or write, she didn't think she would have been taken seriously. And they also considered moving her home, but they knew that Latouche would you know, come for her and that the effort would ultimately also be a failure. So in 19... 19- I wonder what the divorce process was in well, the I, 16, I guess 50, there whatever. must have been one because that same king that you were referencing, he got divorced to be, that's why he basically restructured the Church of England. And I guess, granted, these people may or may not have been Protestants. We don't know anything about their religion, but he made it so that you could get a divorce because before that, if you were a Catholic, there was nothing pretty much you could do. Accuse your wife of treason and behead her. And that was if you were the king. So, I mean, I don't know what regular ass people did. I bet it was only available for the king. Probably. Otherwise, you stuck with your special privileges. Shitty Latouche husband. (laughs) This brings us to 72 in the story. It's been a pretty crummy year of verbal and physical abuse, barely a year into the couple's marriage. And one day that year, Latouche beat Isabel nearly to death. And since efforts to separate their daughter from her husband were not progressing, Gillette and her husband decided that they needed to take more drastic action. So the family. So the ninth great grandma is the murderer. Mm, I thought it was the eighth earlier when you was talking about her. No, I just wanted to kind of explain how we were related to the, how I was related to this interesting family. So yeah, that was Isabel's half sister and her name was Marie. She's not really involved in the story at all, other than 
just a mention of crazy that she's not involved in the story i know and there's well i don't want to say this yet either really because it's too much away but all right all right right, right. yeah she she was a little older and if you remember she was also married at 14 so apparently she was living like a few towns away with her husband so yeah she may have you know she had her own life dodged a bullet there the whole line the whole kinship yeah. So the family, Gillette, Jacques, and their six kids, well, I guess seven kids technically, had a farm across the river from their home. And on May 15th, Isabel and her parents crossed the river to work on the farm. And when they were crossing the river, they happened to see Latouche. He was helping a friend get cows across the river. And they told him that they wanted to meet tomorrow at the family home for dinner. And he said he would meet them. And it's unclear. There are wasn't anything that came out in the testimony or interrogations that indicated when they decided that they were going to do this. But at some point in time, they had decided they were going to try to poison him. Snap. So when he came and met them the next day for dinner, Gillette prepared a soup and it was kind of, I don't know what kind of soup it was. Obviously I wasn't there, but apparently it had a lot going on, like all kinds of vegetables and beans. And there were these, this weed out on the farm that people noticed killed pigs if pigs ate some of it so they figured they would put four or five of these leaves in his soup they were about half as wide and half as long as a finger so they figured Latouche probably wouldn't notice them they put these leaves in his bowl and he's eating and apparently he's really chowing down and the family's kind of like slurping their soup watching nervously and they were apparently wondering if he would double over if he would change colors if he would get cramps if he would throw up but to their complete astonishment he finished the bowl of soup and was 100 completely fine so the poisoning attempt was a complete failure not scientists these folks huh <laughs> apparently not i don't know did they ever observe like how much it took to kill a pig because right. i feel like they needed to double or triple that up for a human right. i don't know how how many different observations they took of these pigs dying from eating this thing sounds like this was a very poorly thought out murder plan half hatched <laughs> After their poisoning attempt failed on the next night, which was the 17th, let's let's approach it from this angle. Gillette says that Latouche and Isabel are in the barn and Latouche is beating Isabel. Gillette goes out there and a fight breaks out because Gillette is trying to separate Latouche from her daughter. He's obviously much stronger than her and overpowers her. He, according to her testimony later, he was pulling her around by her hair and actually ripped clumps of her hair out. He apparently also was biting her fingers, trying to get her off of him. And eventually in self-defense to protect herself and her daughter, Gillette picked up a hoe that was leaning against a barrel and hit him in the head with it. After hitting him in the head with the hoe, he kind of so fell a to the self-defense claim. Yeah. He fell All to right. the ground and the family crossed the river back to their home. And they said they expected he would just be back home in an hour or half an hour or so he would kind of wake up and come to and come back to the house. I mean, I don't know. It just like, is that what you would want? An angry person who you just beat in the head to show up at your house. And also if you were afraid for your life of this man, then you was like, oh, this little smacking, he going to be, he going to be, he going to feel better. He's not going, he going to stop trying to kill me and my daughter. We can, he can come on home when he wake up. What? Come yeah. on home when he wakes up. What is that? botched ass murderers? What is up with these people? <laughs> They're waiting around for Latouche to show back up at the house. Allegedly. 
Yes, allegedly. Mm -hmm. And when he didn't return, they went back across the river to their barn and they found him there dead. So shock, shocking, shocking. They found his his dead body where they had killed him. What a shock. Very shocking. Can't believe it. I'm sure they were very shocked. Mm -hmm. And in their shock, they decided that they had to get rid of the body. All three of them dragged him down to the river and pushed him in. And they were thinking, I guess, that if he was found in the river, apparently it was a really strong river. So their first hope was that he wouldn't be found because he would be swept away out into the ocean or something. But they also hoped that if he was found in the river, that the river would have concealed the actual cause of death and made that a little bit unclear. Apparently after dumping his body, Jacques, the father went home and eventually his wife and daughter fled into the woods to hide. So then on the 19th, which was two days later, Jacques, Isabelle's father was arrested and his properties were seized. And during the interrogation, Jacques said that he was innocent. And this is where the problem really started because there were actually several witnesses to the crime. Oh, okay. So they continue to be really shit murderers. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So flashback to that family barn on the night of the 17th. Turns out that- So yeah, what had really happened? <laughs> what had actually happened was that Gillette was mad about the poisoning attempt failing. So she went out in the barn to confront her son-in-law while he was working in the barn. What and was it? She was going to say- He was, she was not- beating Isabel. He was just out in the barn. And she was going to say, how dare you not die, mother? Like, what does no, that mean? Confront what she him? actually said to him was, now there's a nice son-in-law. And he became very irritated and retorted, why aren't I very nice? And apparently these comments devolved into a screaming match of insults until Gillette could no longer stand to look at Latouche. Like she just had such a burning hatred for him. So at that point, after hurling insults back and forth for a little while, Gillette picked up a garden hoe. So that part was consistent and she hit Latouche with it but the strike had no effect on him at all. And he lunged forward and attacked her. So again, this part's kind of consistent. He's apparently dragging her by her hair. He rips out clumps of it. He's biting her fingers. He completely overpowered her. So she shouted to her 12-year-old daughter for help, as one does. She might be 13 by this time. So very strong and mature at 13. Isabel came out into the barn and she wanted to help her mom, but she was completely paralyzed with fear and apparently could do absolutely nothing. Belle's dad, Gillette's husband, Jacques, heard the commotion and ran out into the barn. He saw his wife and Latouche and he struggled to separate them as Latouche tried to fight him off. And Gillette managed to grab the hoe again and swing it at Latouche for a second time. This time she hit him on the head. And he actually fell to the ground with blood streaming down his face. After that, Jacques took the hoe from his wife because he didn't believe she was strong enough to do any damage with it. And once Jacques had the hoe, he raised it over his head to hit Latouche and Latouche started screaming. And apparently, according to witnesses, he was saying saying a lot of stuff like, help, you're killing me, stop. And just screaming, like shouting out for an extended period of time, according to witnesses. Jacques struck him and blood splattered everywhere. Latouche grabbed his father-in-law kind of try to get him to stop, but he was pretty weak at this point and Jacques was easily able to just like shrug him off and keep going. So as Latouche continued to scream for help, 
Gillette became concerned that her husband was a wuss basically and was going to change his mind. So she started screaming at her husband to kill him, just shouting, kill him, finish the job, like over and over apparently. So Jacques hit Latouche with the hoe over and over again. Apparently the barn was, as you can imagine, I don't even know. (laughs) It looked like the scene of what's that movie? I blacked out there for a while because you had promised me a lighter episode and then you chopped a man up with a hoe in a barn in front of a 12 year old. So it looked like a scene from Psycho. That's what it looked like. The prom one. Isn't that it? Blood everywhere. Right. You missed my whole, I'm already blacked out. I heard you. I I heard you. I can't process any of this. It's fun. It's 1650s. It's light. It's, it's airy. It's a strange, strange definition of all of these (laughs) phrases that you're using. After the hoe incident, the family decided it was time to go home. So they exited their barn and they went on across the, they started to go across the river, but unbeknownst to them, And apparently thanks to the very still, silent night air, which allowed sound to travel very easily, two brother-in-laws who were friends of Latouche and were on the other side of the river heard the entire thing happening from start to finish. And Now let me me ask you another question. I think I know what you're going to ask, but go for it. What? They just sat there and listened to the whole thing. Like they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew that's what you're going to ask. And I've been thinking about this and I can only assume it's not like a little stream. You need a boat to cross. And so I can only imagine that they didn't have a way to cross is what hmm. I was thinking. Hmm. But obviously I don't know, but apparently it's like a pretty significant river with very fast flow. So I imagine they just didn't have a way to get across. All right, maybe we'll give them a pass. These two guys also later stated when they gave statements to the police that they could identify individual voices, such as the voice of Latouche screaming things like, oh my God, I am dead. You're killing me. They could also pick out Gillette's voice screaming at her husband to kill Latouche. And they could also hear the individual blows of the hoe. They said they listened to these sounds for over an hour and a half which is a really long time. I kind of agree with you. In that time, y'all couldn't borrow a boat from somebody. We were going to give you a pass. So we're back to torturing people here on The Murderer You Know. When the family came out of the barn, these two guys shouted across the river to Jacques that they knew he killed his son-in-law and that there were plenty of witnesses so he would be hanged. And Jacques shouted something to his wife about what a bad idea this was and how he knew this was going to happen. And they all went back home in complete shock. They did return to the barn, as they stated when they were interrogated, but apparently they hoped when they went back that Latouche, like they thought there was some slim chance that Latouche might be alive because that would get them out of the complicated situation they had just placed themselves in. They covered um, the brain, the, the, the barn and his yeah. brain matter. Yeah. And they thought he was just going to regenerate. I they mean, thought he might be okay. Mm, mm-hmm. Maybe, just maybe. Mm. These people are not scientists, definitely not medical doctors. <laughs> well, remember the, the poisoning part? We already knew that about them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're falling short here time after time. So as soon as they entered the barn, they immediately knew there was absolutely no chance that this guy was alive. 
And eventually they did decide to throw his body into the river. And although Isabel hadn't participated in the murder at all, she did help her parents drag her husband's body to the river and toss it in. So on the next day, they couldn't, they couldn't leave the 12 year old at home to get some rest. Apparent. No, apparently not. Mm, Okay. Yeah. This whole thing was her fault. She did complain that she wanted her husband dead. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, those 12 year olds, they mean everything they say. (laughs) I'm blacked out again. Lack of oxygen. On the next day, the 18th, Latouche's friends, the the two that heard him being murdered from across the river, they decided to look for their friend, or they feared more likely his body, at Isabel's parents' home. So they got a boat? No, because the home is on the side of the river where they were, Mm. on the opposite side of the barn. Gotcha. So they didn't need a boat yet. And they brought two friends with them who either just came along because they were upset because they learned their friend had potentially been murdered or they might have come along because the two witnesses were scared. But either way, the group of guys didn't find anything, but they did see Jacques entering his house and they decided to go and talk to him. And when they got there, Jacques apparently came back out of his house with a musket and confronted them. And he checked if his gun was loaded and then cocked the little, what is that hammer thing or whatever it's called back. And when they asked about Latouche, he said they wouldn't find him. And And when they said, that's because you murdered him, he said, no, I haven't seen him since Monday. He went on a trip to New England. Yeah. Um, So went on a trip right after shouting repeatedly (laughs) that he was being murdered. Well, you'll see. They have a, they have an explanation. They have an explanation for who was shouting things that will come up soon. So on the 19th, the next day, the two witnesses without their other friends did go to the barn to see what they could find there. And obviously, as soon as they looked in the barn, they were absolutely horrified. Like I said, there was just a mess, a horrible, horrifying, life-ruining mess everywhere. They also found some stockings and some human teeth in the mess, which they presumed belonged to their friend. And any doubts they might have had about what they heard two nights ago completely vanished when they, like, they they hoped maybe, you know, they just misheard. They didn't see it for themselves. So they kind of had convinced themselves maybe anything could be going on. But as soon as they saw the barn, they just knew that they were right. They felt really sick. So they had to leave the barn for fresh air and reality hit them that Their friend really was murdered, so they went to the police and they gave statements about what they saw in the barn and what they heard two nights before. And that's when police went to the family home and they arrested Jacques, but his wife and daughter could not be found. Bruh. Again, just poorly thought out. Like, no cleanup, no... Well, don't worry. This family, while they might not be doctors or scientists, they did come up with an explanation for everything. All right, I'm ready. So, well, and unfortunately, part of their shortcoming was that the the dad was arrested first. They also hadn't come up with a cohesive story to all tell. So the dad told a different story than his wife and daughter, which created, yeah, a little bit of a problem in terms of the outcome for them when it came to the sentencing. In addition to- Oh yeah, because what's her her name? Gillette already said that it was self-defense. Correct. 
All right. Okay. So in addition to the barn and the witnesses, there was also more damaging evidence against the family. One of the four men who spent the day after the murder looking for Latouche's body testified that Jacques, the dad, said to him that Latouche would die by no other hand than his own. And the couple's 10-year-old son, remember I said they married all of their very young daughters off, but they still had one that I guess was too young, you know, even for her dad, too young to marry off. And they also had a 10-year-old son, Nicholas. And when he was questioned by an attorney the day after his father's arrest, he said that on the night of the murder, his parents and sister had gone to the barn and then returned home after, which doesn't sound that suspicious to me. Like, what, were they just going to stay at the barn forever? But apparently it was suspicious for whatever reason. And he also told the officers that his mother and sister fled into the woods the day before well, that's his father suspicious. was arrested. And he also heard his mom say that she would kill Latouche and heard his sister say that she wanted her husband dead. He kind of spilled the beans on all of that. Poor 10-year-old little kid, because now he's going to be like parentless, everythingless. He didn't yep. know. He didn't think it through. Poor guy. So while Jacques is in custody and his 10-year-old son is <laughs> ruining his life before his wife and daughter were found, he denied that Latouche was murdered. And he said that the blood in the barn was from cleaning a sturgeon and that all of the neighbors made false claims against him because they didn't like him. And if you're wondering what a sturgeon is. I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> because I was I thinking of like might. a surgeon, like a surgeon. How's it's that? A- How's that any better that you murdered a surgeon? <laughs> it's a fish. Ah. It's a big fish. I was looking up and they can be up to 16 feet long and 800 pounds. As far as what else might I have killed in my barn that could create such a mess? I guess that would be a good choice. That and he had a, a he chopped a the sturgeon. He chopped the sturgeon to death with a hoe because <laughs> I don't know. I don't have oh. anything on that. All right. I don't have anything on that. I don't know if he brought the hoe up. I don't know if he said he used it on the surgeon. Mm, okay, just checking. <laughs> so the day after Jacques was arrested, Gillette and Isabel were found in the forest and brought into custody. And this is when they tell their story about self-defense, which I already went through a little bit earlier. And their stories are super consistent and they're almost exactly the same as each other. The only discrepancy is that Gillette claimed that Latouche died in the barn and Isabel claimed that he died outside of the barn. But other than that, the mom and daughter were like right on the same page. They'd probably been out in the woods like, what's our fucking story going to be, bro? We got to come up with something good. Yeah, most likely. So they maintained that self-defense story as their official story, but the report, which was compiled by the scribe in Trois-Rivières, included witness testimony as well to create a more thorough version of events from all sides. So after Gillette and Isabel gave that statement about the self-defense, the officers confronted Jacques again, and they asked him why his statement was so different, you know, compared to the statement that his wife and daughter gave. And he said that he didn't want to say anything until his wife was questioned for that exact reason. And he also continued to state that the witness testimony was false. And he changed his story to say that he absolutely swore that his wife's testimony was true. Um, he didn't want to give Sturgeon story. <laughs> he didn't want to give his story before his wife was questioned because he didn't have a chance to get his story straight. That's Probably literally what he told the police. That's literally apparently what he said. Yeah. So he's really he's really stumbling. Over all buddy, of this. Jack, you, buddy, you've really dropped the ball here. Poor guy. 
So Gillette, in support of her story, offered her bitten fingers up as proof of the self-defense theory. But after the preliminary investigation and interrogations in Trois-Rivières, the family was then sent to Quebec for a fair and equitable trial. And the case was turned over to the intendant. And I didn't know who the intendant was, so I looked it up. And apparently it was a position second in command to the governor of the colony. And the intendant was responsible for the colony's civil administration and gave particular attention to economic development and the administration of justice. And the intendant received the copies of the interrogations done in Trois-Rivières from the public prosecutor, who apparently did the interrogations in the absence of a judge. And there there was nothing in the records about why they didn't have a judge at the time, like if he was just out of town or if there wasn't one appointed. But for whatever reason, the public prosecutor did all of the work in Trois-Rivières. But I actually have part of the questioning that the intendant went through with each member of the family. He started with the wife and he asked her things like, when you were married, did you love your husband? Which she responded not at all to. He asked her why she didn't love him. And she said that her father made her marry him, that she didn't consent and that it was an arranged marriage and she didn't want to disobey her dad. He also asked things like, are you happy your husband is dead? To which she said no, and that she wished she was dead instead of him. And they asked her if she hit her husband, if she helped her parents, and she said she did not help. They also asked her, wasn't your husband's voice heard in Trois-Rivières while he was being murdered? And she said, because you asked this earlier, she said it was her father who was screaming like that because Latouche was killing all of them. Ah, okay. So it it gets back into the self-defense theory. So they asked her, you know, pointedly, why was your husband screaming? He was being murdered. And she was like, no, that was my dad because this guy was killing us. Mm. Next, they question the dad. And I just want to talk about this part because this guy fully threw his wife under the fucking bus <laughs> to be like backed up and driven over and backed up and driven over thousands of times. Apparently his resolve was weakening and he was really scared that the story of self-defense wasn't going to hold. And he was also very aware of the punishment for murder. He basically, and he was also, I will say a lot of the documents described him as a weak and spineless man. So he told the intent. Intendant- well, that's probably why he beat a man to death because his wife told him to. <laughs> That's his story. He told the intendant that his wife tried to poison Latouche and that when that failed, she hit him with the hoe the next day. And so the intendant asked, how did you plan to kill your son-in-law? And he says, my wife said to me, let's go to the farm. Once we were there, she implored me many times until we killed our son-in-law. Our daughter never spoke to me about her problems, but spoke to her mother about getting rid of her husband. Sometimes I was even forced to leave the house because my wife was so relentless about getting rid of our son-in-law i delayed hoping she would change her mind she said guess what gillette your ass is going to prison (laughs) prison at the end he apparently also said that he never meant his son-in-law any harm and that what he did was in obedience to his wife so he's really like maybe they didn't believe me that it was my wife let me just hammer that home one more time hey by the way in case you were wondering if i was a spineless git or a spineless kid. <laughs> I am, in fact, a spineless kid. As a reminder, Gillette, ninth grade grandma. Poor Gillette. 
She we don't love, we don't love these hoes, Gillette. What are you doing with this man? Oh, yeah, I guess. She was forced. You're right. She had no choice. This poor child. At this time, by the way, she still is like 35. So she's still a baby. Yeah, this is a really messed up situation. It's awful. But like you said, I mean, what is... But what you were saying, the part that I think we kind of talked over top of a little bit, is the fact that she's like all of 30 and I guess felt like she had no other way out of this situation. Yeah. She felt like she was in a desperate situation and she just wanted to help. I mean, can you imagine... Her, she just wanted to help her literal 13-year-old daughter. Who and he was, was abusive. In an abusive I mean, abusive right. situation and was scared for her life. Not that that makes what happened okay, right? That's no. the difficulty, though. Like, yeah, there's got to be another way. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, we don't live in 1670s Canada. We don't know what that other way might have been. But yeah, I mean, there's no justifying. You don't get to take justice into your own hands and be vigilant, vigilante. vigilante justice. Yep. So finally, Gillette w- was questioned and she basically, she kind of admitted to everything. I think she was still maintaining that it was done in self-defense and that her daughter was abused, you know, the entirety of the marriage, but they They asked her things that the husband had called her out on. So the intendant said, what kind of plant did you use to try to poison your son-in-law? She said she didn't know and described it. And then they asked her, did you go into the barn to see your son-in-law one hour after sunset where you said to him, now there's a nice son-in-law. And she said, yes. And he answered me, why aren't I very nice? They asked her, did you not take a hoe that was next to the barrel and use it to strike your son-in-law? She said, that is true. They asked if her husband came out at the same time to take the hoe and finish killing the son-in-law. She also said that was true. They asked her if she called Isabel out to help kill Latouche. And she said, yes, but I don't know if my daughter struck him. And they asked her, how many times did you strike the deceased? Which I didn't mention, but they'd also asked Jacques that. And Jacques said that it was less than 10 times before he died. And she said, I gave the first blow, but it did not draw blood. Then I hit him again on the head and he fell to the ground. My husband came in at the same time. I don't know how many times he struck him, but after many blows, he died. And then they asked her, after you killed your son-in-law, what did you do? And she said, when we knew he was dead, the three of us threw him into the river. She also admitted that they maliciously killed Latouche and that they thought about it for a really long time because they never had any peace after Isabel married him. So she's kind of just, I mean, obviously don't know about 16, you know, 70s Canada, but it sounds like she's incriminating herself. Now it would be going from second degree murder to or manslaughter to first degree murder, right? She has intent, a plan. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think we're ever in a manslaughter situation. I mean, this is murder, but yeah, yeah it takes you from second to first degree. You're in that premeditated, this is something I sat and hatched before I came and did. Yeah. But the thing I, the thing that I was going to say is, I definitely don't think the truth is going to set you free under these circumstances, Gillette. Yeah. yeah. I think in 16th century France or whatever, or we're in Quebec. I think they're going to probably guillotine you. It's coming. Yes. Yes. Another thing that struck me was how quickly all of this happened. I know I said the 17th, the 18th, the 19th. I don't think I said what month it was. It was May. And so on June 8th, 
so much more quickly, it seems to me, wow, yeah. than things Crazy. happen nowadays. The public prosecutor in Quebec rendered his verdict, which was that all three assailants should be executed. And he did not recommend any exceptions for Isabel because of her age, which was the reminder, 13. Lord. Yeah. He thought she should be executed just like her parents, even though she didn't even, she didn't even kill him. Yeah. So apparently after the public prosecutor, and again, not a lawyer, not Canadian, not living in the 1600s. I don't know how any of this works now or then or otherwise, but apparently at the time, the public prosecutor rendered a verdict and then it was given to the intendant and the intendant had a, a small court, which was made up of five men. And they gave the sentence based on the verdict from the public prosecutor. They agreed with the verdict and the punishment for Isabel's parents, but they did take mercy on her because of her young age and they decided she should not be executed. So the family appealed their sentence that day. Actually, it was the next day on the 9th. They appealed their sentence, but the verdict was upheld. And the only small change that was made was that Gillette and Jacques had to pay a 60 livre fine instead of 100 livre fine. So their fine was reduced, but they were then convicted of the same, both of them of the same crime of imprisonment and murder committed against their son-in-law Latouche. And later that afternoon at four o'clock, the sentences were carried out as recommended by the public prosecutor. I have Um, a feeling they're not going to be able to pay that fine. I but guess right. it came, their assets were seized on the mm. day that Jacques was arrested. So I guess True. they could just take it from their seized assets, presumably. So for reparation, all three were led by ropes around their neck from the prison in Quebec with torches in their hands to the door of the church in the city. Jacques was bareheaded and in a shirt and the women were dressed in shirts to their waists. Once they arrived at the church, they had to kneel and ask for forgiveness from God and the king. And after that, they were led to a scaffold erected for their executions in the public square. Poor Jacques, he was executed on something, it's called the wheel. It's in the shape of the cross of St. Andrew, which is basically a cross with like an elaborate decorated wheel around the cross section. And it's erected on the scaffolding up on a post, but parallel to the ground so he can basically lay on it and look up at the sky so he was attached to that and his right arm was broken with two blows from a one and a half inch metal pipe after which because check this out after which he was strangled because the what bro what is wrong with you me how is this lighter (laughs) i can't get over you i'm i gotta go i'm signing (laughs) off turn the play this the theme music it's over just listen because uh-uh. this is very I interesting this I'm is done. very interesting he was strangled because the intendant's court who got to decide agree basically with the public prosecutor they were considered merciful he was strangled instead of the typical punishment on the wheel which was that all of his limbs would have been broken with 11 blows and then he would have been wrapped around the wheel so that his hands and feet were touching the back of his head then he would be put on a small carriage like in the town square and left there for people to throw stuff at i've blacked out again (laughs) 
I'm not laughing at the situation. Who, who I'm just are you? At you. I, who see, are you? Now, I think this is very interesting. Who am I? I don't know if you remember, but there's a, a torture museum in Germany. I want to say it's in Dresden, but I could be completely completely wrong. And I was just fascinated by that museum as a kid, fascinated to the point that when we went back to Germany in 2018, we went again, all of us were like, we have to go here again. And they have Iron Maidens and the wheel and these awful masks that they make you wear if you're a town gossip and stuff. And I just think it's so fascinating. I mean, sure. That's a word that you could use to describe your I mean, obviously I'm not alone. There's a whole museum about it that's been there for at least Count, count me out, bro. 20 years? You went. Me out. You went too. I didn't purposefully go back. <laughs> Different. I just thought it was, I mean, granted, it is way, way better, I would imagine, to just get the two blows and then be taken out compared to all of that other stuff he would have to go through. But I just thought it was amazing that that was what was considered mercy. But also, like, like oh. who in the actual, <laughs> literal, ooh, I can hear dad telling me not to say the, the F word sometimes. Like, oh, we'll who just, thought of that? We'll just beat you twice, and then we'll have a secret rope to strangle you so that you don't have to go through all the rest of the torture, but we're still going to put you up on the little carriage on your wheel in the town square as a lesson to other people. They still put him up there, and they said that part of the punishment was carried out symbolically as a warning to other criminals. That was their course of action. I'm glad they don't do that anymore. So what happened to Gillette? Did they wrap her ass around the wheel too? No, let me tell you. Gillette's lucky. One time it paid off to be a woman in history. The punishment of the wheel was never applied to women due to the decency of their sex. So she was hanged. And right after her husband, at the same time, basically, she was hanged. And Isabel, as part of her punishment, was required to watch um, as both of her parents were executed. I was wondering why she was there. I know. And apparently she, as you can imagine, was absolutely hysterical. She said later that she wished she was dead and that her husband was not. She cried out to her mom, begging her not to leave her. But ultimately she was left all alone without her. And now all the documents I was reading changed it up. They were like, oh, her kind father. Like, oh, he was a real shit guy, but he did love her. (laughs) Like, cool. And her best friend, her fiercely protective mother, who had always been her listening ear and her guardian. I I will say. So how did you find articles in English anyways? I mean, you can translate them, but it's Uh, crazy because there are just a lot of interesting things to me about this. Quebec has public record going back that far. Well-maintained public record. And they're these, they're all photocopied now, but they're these ripped, handwritten in fucking cursive (laughs) documents that you can barely, barely read. That's cool. Um, But it's amazing. I mean, the organization that that requires to have all that documentation. I feel like there are more details about this crime than stuff that happened in the 80s in the U.S. That's what I was going to say. I was shocked that you found this level of stuff. I thought this was going to be a little light, easy, breezy, 20 minute. Oops, they killed him. Episode, I will but say nah, in my you defense, had to chop his ass up all over the barn. In my defense, I don't ever defense. think I said this was going to be light. I think I said it was a little bit of a fun twist because it's the 1600s. I don't think I said light. I feel misled. Well, here's something light. In 1673, Isabel remarried. So I I still somewhat 
don't like this. A 26-year-old soldier who was the widower with no children, and they eventually had six children together starting in 1676 when Isabel turned 17. Oh, wait, how long did she remarry? She remarried like a year after her parents got murdered? Yeah. Or- yeah. Death penalty? Oh, but I mean, imagine the situation similar to her mom. Imagine the situation she was in. She's a 13 year old single mother. Her parents are gone. I don't know who had to care for her two youngest siblings. Was it her? I don't know. I mean, she was probably Mm. in a really desperate situation. Sad. Yeah. But I I thought that part was nice because it seems like they had more happiness than she had experienced with her first marriage seems like a low bar but all right (laughs) yeah i guess it is a pretty low bar also he he could have been shit i don't know anything about this second husband we're gonna just put it into the air that he was fine we gotta we gotta take a win we have to hope we have to hope that's the story of explains a lot about you kid (laughs) i asked my husband yesterday i was like what do you think the punishment should be for two parents who kill their daughter's abuser. And he was like, well, first I said for two people who kill someone. And he was like, it depends. And I was like, what if it's two people who kill their daughter's abuser? And he was like, that seems fine to me. Jury nullification at its finest. (laughs) I don't know. I feel, I don't know them. I wasn't there, but I feel like they thought they were doing their best. Yeah, it's definitely not a thing. I mean, in the law, at least. It's hard, though, because it is a jury of your peers and people are going to. That's the definition of jury nullification, that you make a juror feel so bad that they find the person not guilty, even though they clearly are guilty in the law. Poor little Isabel. Yeah, I feel bad for her. I feel very bad for her. I feel bad for Gillette, too. But yeah. Mm. Funny, gotten to another wonderful happy ending here on the murder you listen know. i don't know if this is coming as a shock to you <laughs> but i don't Damn it, think they keep getting murdered i don't think there are gonna be any happy really happy isabel remarrying maybe a nice guy is about a, as happy of an ending as there's ever gonna be a glimmer of hope i don't know if this is news to you it's fine <laughs> I'll be okay. I'm glad to hear it. So what do I always ask you? Do you you have anything to contribute? I don't think we said at all. Mm. This is the murderer, you know. Thanks for listening. You can, if you are enjoying the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can also check us out on Instagram, murderer, you know, podcast. Facebook murderer, you know, podcast. You can always email us at murderer, you know, at gmail.com. Get all that important stuff out there. Do you have anything to contribute to add? I mean, y'all really let me down when you didn't vote for bunny donuts. So (laughs) I'm going to take a couple weeks off, get my mind right, do some yoga, meditate on why people viciously kill one another. Does it make you feel better or worse to know? Does it make you feel better or worse to know that stuff like that was happening in the 1600s? Like in my mind, I feel like the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse, but maybe it's not. I see what you mean. Like maybe it's always been shit. Is that better? (laughs) 
that feels better. The world always having been shit or not the world because the world is a beautiful, amazing place, but human nature that humans have always done garbage things to each other makes me feel a little better than that. It's a new thing. You know what I I mean? mean? It's hard for me to conceptualize a government wrapping someone's body around a wheel as a form of execution. You need to go. That's a little tough. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. I mean, maybe better full, maybe better to be like, all right, well, at least we're not doing shit like that anymore. You know, that's true. But like I said, it explains a whole lot about you. Torture museum, torture museum, yearly membership owner. I've been twice. Did you did you have any contributions? Nothing. Just that. Just talking shit. I'll see you next week. I guess. On Until next time. You know. Bye bye bye. Mm-mm. Bye bye.